Yes, Internet. Hello. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good night. Good day. We're glad you're tuning in. Thank you, as always, for um, following along. Welcome to the Andy Laura podcast. <laughs> and uh, we're thrilled you're with us. Um, we want to remind you, we have a, a we have two podcasts out now. One is called the Vox Community Podcast, and that is the stories and the scriptures from uh, our Vox gathering in North Orange County, California. And then we have this podcast, the Subversive Kingdom kind of Vox podcast, Mike Erie podcast, but not for long. Correct. Um, and uh, so, so want to remind you of, of those things. Thank you for the reviews on iTunes. Uh, thank you for likes and retweets and uh, shares. Uh, all of that is is um, incredibly helpful and encouraging and affirming. And we're grateful as always to be able to join in um, to your life. Today we're going to talk about suffering. And we're recording this uh, on the Thursday after two pretty big shootings have taken place. Uh, Alton Sterling um, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana was a couple of nights ago. And then um, we saw horrific video yesterday of a woman who was Facebooking. She was Facebook living. She was using Facebook Live to yes. record the aftermath for her boyfriend getting shot. Uh, Philan, I think it's Philando Castile is his name, and this was in Minnesota. And and the video is about ten minutes uh, long, and um, and so we're sitting in in just another. Um, a far too common, you know, uh, polarized, divided, crazy um, uh, mess where we've got, we've got, you know, people uh, reminding us that Black Lives Matter. We've got other people saying, but Blue Lives Matter and police have it tough. And, and uh, you, you've got, you know, cries of systemic racism. You've got counter cries of, of, um, well, let's wait till it all comes out, you know, and 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 withhold judgment, and 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 it just stirs up again what what is increasingly near the surface of the American psyche, which are these kind of ruts uh, that have been run down many times before. So um, we kind of we're coming in uh, a bit sorrowful, and and for me the sorrow is very personal. I um, I'm a chaplain for a police department. And so I have dear friends who I love and would take bullets for um, who are good, good men and who, uh, whose jobs now are being made increasingly uh, more difficult and more dangerous by the actions of other cops. And, um, and I don't know, I mean, maybe the, the shootings, it will come out that the shootings were legal under the letter of the law or following the training that the, that the officers received. I just know how they look, and uh, when I'm out riding around with uh, with some of uh, my friends, uh, I see the increased tension, the split second decisions you have to make. Uh, one of the guys had been shot five times at a car stop. One of the police officers shot five times at a car stop by a guy just reaching down, grabbing a gun, and and shooting in a split second. And uh, so, uh, on the one hand, I, I sit and I lament. For um, my brothers and my sisters who have a tough job, my dad was a cop, um, and I just see the stress and the toll it takes. Hmm, I didn't know that. And and on the other hand, my brother, my younger brother, um, is uh, he lives up in uh, near Sacramento, and he married a very beautiful uh, African American woman, and they have two children, uh, Aliyah and Maddox, and they are just they're they're incredibly precious. But my brother texted me last night, and he's like what do I do? You know, what, what, what do I do? I mean, is this, what do you do? You know, and it's not something that he and I, as white kids growing up in the Midwest, uh, ever thought we'd have to um, deal with in terms of, of his children. And the, the, you know, the, the fact that, that, that Anya, his wife is part of our family and, and feels this so acutely and can, and can talk about uh, and many, many of our African-American friends can talk about instances where they were targeted or singled out or whatever. And you just go, man, uh, that's, that's all legit. Black lives matter. And, um, and I can't, from a white boy Midwest perspective, understand what it's like to be afraid 
and to um, uh, and to believe that there is deep systemic racism. And I also understand my cops who feel continually labeled and judged as all bad because some of them are bad. And so, so it's a it's a tough uh, it's a tough place to live. Um, and uh, I mean, an emotional space. It's a tough emotional mm-hmm. space to to kind of inhabit. So, so we so so it, it ties into the topic of suffering. This is part two on the does God call suffering? It, obviously, we sit and we go, okay, well, some theologies say that this these are acts of God. Um, that these this was God's will in this moment for these shootings to occur and uh, we began to object uh, a couple of podcasts ago to that way of thinking and to present uh, what I think is a, a better biblical a better account of the biblical sort of teaching um, in, in in recognizing that there is mystery and that we don't we don't know it all but um, what, what's the better accounting of the God we meet in Jesus? Is it that in, in God's inscrutable, mysterious will, God uh, directly or indirectly caused these officers uh, to shoot that this is God's will and that somehow he'll be glorified? Uh, okay, that's one option. Um, I, I tend to think that uh, there are wills other than God's being done on the earth, and uh, I think the biblical teaching squares with that. But there are some other texts that uh, people responded to the first podcast by saying, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And again, if you're not a fan of the Bible or you're one of our many who don't consider themselves uh, particularly church going or Jesus following, but are interested in kind of eavesdropping on the conversation, uh, I think there, there'll be good stuff in here for you because it gets back to the issue of something called a theodicy, which is a justification for why God might allow evil, and um, and so so uh, one of the one of the the very um, popular uh, and most often referenced books in a conversation about evil is is a book called the Book of Job, mm-hmm. and it's spelled like Job. Yeah. So no worries if you found it and you go, oh, a book called Job. Oh, it'll teach me on how to get a career. Right. And no, it's this. <laughs> it, it, in fact, some scholars think it was the first. Uh, book that was written. That's oh, okay. the oldest book, and and it, mm. it is, um, it is a very stylized, epic, ancient uh, poem that tells a story, but it tells it like Beowulf. Um, it, it tells it like uh, the Odyssey. Yeah, I was gonna say like the Odyssey or something. Yes, look at you dropping your Greek knowledge and history, um, <laughs> which is none, right? <laughs> and uh, and so so it, it's 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 stylized storytelling. So. The the whenever you're approaching the, the the Bible, and you're wanting to understand what it's saying, it it is very tempting to just open up your English Bible and to read it and to import unconsciously, twenty um, uh, first century American individualized Western assumptions and presuppositions about words and concepts, and totally take them out of the ancient Near Eastern thought in which these were embedded and made sense. So, so we believe, I believe, that Scripture is clear enough that anyone can read it and benefit from it, but it's also deep enough that you can spend your rest, the rest of your life kind of plumbing the depths of the Scriptures and, and learn uh, and, and, and uh, benefit even more. And so when you come to a book like Job, you, can't, you, you, you approach it with a, a bit of timidity, uh, it's not a theology workbook. It's not giving us doctrine of things. It's it's a it's a narr- it's a it's a epic poem that gives us a sort of like two or three or four act narrative structure, but it's highly stylized and and it and it begins with a um with a with a they call it a prologue, which is an introduction to the to the to the play and and this is done. The prologue, if you've ever read the book, the prologue is uh, a couple of chapters of uh, prose setting up what's about to happen, and and it's and it's an interesting scene. I'm not I'm not going to be quoting parts of Job except for a couple of parts, um, but I'd encourage you to to either have the 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 book open as we're talking through this, or to read it 
in response to see if if um, what I'm saying makes sense. Because on a podcast, it's tough to do something called exegesis very well, um, which is the the kind of the calling through the text, looking for meaning and, and interpretive clues and those sorts of things. And because you're probably listening to this working out or in a car, there's not a lot, you know, I can, hey, well, this word and here, and it, it's just easier to give you kind of the narrative overview. So the book begins, we meet a guy named Job, and he, uh, the, 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 the story is unequivocally, um, uh, unequivocal in saying that he is righteous, there, that, that he is w- the, one of the most righteous people on the earth, and he's been very blessed by God according to ancient Near Eastern standards, herds, uh, flocks, uh, children, the whole thing. Then, we, then we're introduced into a courtroom a courtroom scene, and um, and and the image is that God is king, and that God has a heavenly court, in the same way an earthly king would have a court, and surrounding God are His council, the heavenly council of angels, or some translations call them sons of God, um, is a, a reference to heavenly beings, and so He's in the middle of this courtroom, and there are heavenly beings uh, sitting around Him, and then. Um, we meet an adversary, we meet the villain, we meet the, the bad guy. Um, it says, one day angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Now, Satan, um, I don't know, I don't think at this point was a name, it was more of a title. And in, 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 in Hebrew, it's Ha-Satan, it's the adversary. So it's the, the text lets you know this is the accuser, this is the villain, this is the ac- acu- acu- accuser, excuse me, uh, accuser. Um, he's the accuser. And, um, and he comes in with the council, meaning he's not a part of the council. He's an outsider. He's an interloper. Um, and uh, the Lord says, where have you come from? indicating uh, that Satan does not operate under God's authority, that Satan is an outsider to this whole whole process. And then Satan answers, uh, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. And, um, and, and the, the image, of course, is that God is all powerful, but that God, uh, this is, fits into the very, um, the images that we looked at last uh uh, two podcasts ago, that God has delegated some of His sovereignty to angel, angelic beings, to human beings, and that um, and this Satan is now roaming to and fro. God, I really don't have to tell you or give an accounting of what I'm doing. Um, he is an, a presented as an outsider to this heavenly council, and then God, uh, in an honor shame culture. Uh, God points to Job and says, hey, because you've been roaming around, have you, have you seen my servant Job? My servant Job, um, is he, there's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears evil, or fears God, excuse me, and shuns evil. And then, and then Satan offers, in an honor-shame culture, um, a, 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 a um, oh, what do you call it, doggone it? It's a, uh, a challenge. It's an honor-shame challenge. And and Satan is now trying to humiliate God in front of his court. Now again, this is total. This is stylized stuff, right? Does this is this literal history? Uh, what is this? I mean, we could have endless debates about that. But there's a point that's coming that's hugely significant. This the book of Job is found in the wisdom literature section of the Old Testament because there's wisdom here. And but it's it's it takes a bit to get to. So. Um, uh, Satan says, yeah, I've been roaming around. Well, have you considered my servant Job? So this Satan looks at God and says, well, uh, the only reason (laughs) that Job loves you and honors you is because you bless him, because you've given blessing to him. So Satan says, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands. Um and his flocks, uh, but now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So the challenge was from Satan, listen, why don't you give the upright guy cursing instead of blessing, and then we'll see, then we'll see how much he loves you. So the accusation, the accusation is pretty significant, right? God, um, and you could read it a couple of different ways. God, 
uh, Job doesn't love you and serve you for you, but for what he gets from you. Mm, if you take that sure. away, he won't love you or serve you. So this is an honor-shame challenge. And then secondly, um, there there's an accusation against God himself and God's character that God... Uh, can manipulate uh, people into affection and devotion uh, by blessing them. So it's an accusation against Job, and it's an accusation against God. And so, so God accepts the the challenge. But notice, this Satan says to Job, um, or this Satan says to God, "Why don't you strike Job? And why don't you do it? And then see if Job um, still loves you and responds to you." But the Lord said to Satan. Very well, then everything he has is in your power, but in the man, um, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. And then Satan, uh, the Satan, went out from the presence of the Lord. So, so bunch of stuff here. God refuses to do the dirty work. God refuses to cause the suffering. God removes the hedge of protection. But it's interesting that the hedge was needed if it's all God's will. If the image is it's all God's will done on the earth, then why was a hedge of protection even needed? Right. Right? So God removes the hedge for whatever reason, and the the Satan has to leave the presence of God to go do the evil work. God refused to do the evil work himself. Satan did it instead. Make sense? Um, Yes. Uh, Hedge of protection is a common terminology used in churches. It wasn't that wasn't literally said right there can you kind of just no it was literally said oh, did i okay that I just, that's where they just missed so the okay, cliche no there's this cliche that says you'll hear christians pray sometimes say god give them a hedge of protection yeah and and that's where this phrase comes from is, okay. is this this image in the book of job um where job says uh uh you have blessed the work of his hands have you not put a hedge around him in his household? And okay. the hedge here means a wall of protection okay. or a barrier of sure, protection. Some kind of spiritual barrier of protection yes, okay. from the evil one. Right. My okay. point is, why would a hedge be necessary if the whole thing was God's will? Right. Absolutely. Right? So you've got a hedge and you have a Satan who says to God, God, why don't you strike him down? God says, no, but I'll lift the hedge. You do it. Now, in an honor-shame culture, this sort of bet, this sort of uh, exchange makes total sense. To us, it seems absolutely insane that God would ever consider anything like this. But again, this is a stylized, epic, narrative poem. And and it's driving towards something uh, that I think is really critical. So the narrative moves on, moving quickly. Uh, and Job loses everything. Um, in an instant, he loses his family, his flocks, his house. He loses his health. I mean, the whole, the whole thing. He only has his wife, and his wife doesn't turn out to be all that awesome. Um, she only has one line in the book, and it's really negative. But um, Job hears all of this, right? It, this utter destruction of his life, and then he says, "At this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, which are expressions of grief. Then he fell to the ground in worship, saying." Naked from uh, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Now, um, one of the things that is very interesting is that, that the audience, the readership, is let into a secret that Job never finds out about. Right. Namely, the presence of this third actor. You've got God, you've got Job, and then you have this Satan. So when when Job says, uh, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away, the audience knows that's not quite true. Right. That God allowed this Satan to, to take the thing away, to take all of his blessing away. But that initially, Uh, The Satan wanted God to do it, and God said, no, that's not God's plan. That's not God's idea. That's not God's will. Um, So so you have have this very famous line. It's the basis of a very famous Christian song that God gives and God takes away. But the audience is left a bit confused because, hold on a second, God didn't really do it, right? And, And... and then it says in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Well, in, in, in that moment, yes, but God's, or, but Job certainly begins to charge God with wrongdoing later in the book. So the book begins with this heavenly counsel, a righteous man, 
And Satan's appeal in front of witnesses to try to humiliate God by saying, listen, um, it's clear why Job loves you because you bless him. And it's also clear that um, that you can manipulate people to love you and bless you by just blessing them. So, um, God, why don't you remove the hedge and let's see what happens. Honor, shame, culture, God accepts, but says, no, no, you can go do it. I'm not doing it. So, so Satan leaves. Um, and then Job says this very famous line. And I think, see, one of the, one of the ironies is that Job says a lot of bad theology. And if you want more on this, there's a guy named John Mark Comer. He's a dear friend of mine, uh, a phenomenal teacher of the Bible. He is at a church called Bridgetown, um, in uh, Portland. And he did a whole series on Job that is just fantastic and overlaps with some of what I'm saying here. Uh, there's a guy named Greg Boyd, who um, is a guy that I agree with on some things and not on other things. So a bit of discernment needed there, but um, he's written some stuff on Job that's just phenomenal. And both of these guys, and I so agree with them, argue that the rest of the book is designed to show you that the Lord gave and the Lord's taken away isn't the point of the book and that that's not how God works. Yeah, That it's more complicated than that. So the assured... Um, the, the assured, uh, uh, you know, Twitter, um, status updates from our friends at the gospel coalition that just simply say God ordained suffering. The book of Job is meant to refute such easy formulaic, simplistic thinking. It's not that simple. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what begins to happen then is that Job has some friends <laughs> who show up. And, 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 and in that time, um, and still today, there was a very common assumption that if you are blessed, the gods are pleased with you. And if the gods are pleased with you, you will be blessed. Or if things are going bad for you, the gods are angry. Uh, if the gods are angry, things will go bad for you. All right, it was a very simple formula. Uh, if things are going well, God favors you. If things are going poorly, it's because God is judging you. All right, the problem is now Job suffers. Bad things happen to Job, but he's righteous. So the text clearly says bad things are happening to a righteous person, which breaks the formula because the formula says bad things only happen to bad people. Right. Good things happen to good people. Right. But here's a good person having bad things happen. Yes. Correct? So Job's friends show up and thus begins the interplay for like 30 some chapters of two different theologies. The friends look at who are operating under that assumption that, that um, good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people, and then draw the conclusion, Job, bad things are happening to you because you're bad. Mm -hmm. There's unconfessed sin. They, they keep confronting him with, with the audacity to claim he's blameless. I mean, it's, it's, it's hilarious, but it's the dismantling. It's, it, well, it's the reinforcing of this assumption. Because bad things only happen to bad people, bad things are happening to you, therefore you are a bad person. Okay, so that's their theology, that God is behind this. Both Job and the friends have no idea there's a Hasetan out there. Right. They both believe God is behind this, and they're trying to draw conclusions from it. The friend's conclusion is, well, we know how this works. God blesses good people. You're not blessed, therefore you're not good. Job, on the other hand, comes to a different conclusion. He shares the assumption that God's behind it, but... In, in in his deepest parts of himself, believes himself to be righteous. So here the formula doesn't work the way his friends say that it works. But if he's righteous and bad things are happening, God then isn't just. Because the formula is not working the way the formula is supposed to. Right. Because I'm, I'm good, bad things are happening. So God then is unjust. And, and the accusations against God by Job get more and more serious. That God is like a lion waiting to devour. I mean, that that God is this cosmic string puller. I mean, and 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 you're sympathetic to Job because Job's friends just keep accusing him. And in Job's mind, there are only two options for blame, right? God or me. Right. I know I'm righteous, so God must be to blame. Mm -hmm. Now, lurking behind the whole story is what the audience is aware of. That there, that there there, was some honor-shame thing going on between God and an adversary. 
and that the adversary is the one responsible Mm -hmm. for the tragedy that has befallen Job's life. Now, what begins to happen as this, as the book keeps going and going, Job keeps calling out to God um, for his day in court. God, so God show up, Job says, so that I can have my day in court with you. God, you need to vindicate yourself. I will vindicate me. And so, so towards the end, uh, towards the end of the book of Job, you have this incredible, and again, it's this incredible, incredible scene where God does show up, so to speak, uh, and answer Job's, uh, Job's cries for justice and vindication. But God, God comes, the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Okay, so God comes, not as a still quiet voice like he does in other parts of the Old Testament. He comes in the midst of a storm, through the storm. And he says, instead of answering Job's questions, he asks questions of himself. Or he asks questions of Job himself. <coughs> Excuse me. So, is this making sense, Andy? Yes, please uh, keep going. Okay, please. Please keep going. End <laughs> I, it. You've pulled me into the beautiful epic. <laughs> oh, it's, I love, I mean, it's an amazing thing. So, so, so God begins, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, Job. I, sh- I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On, on, on what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstones while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? And for two chapters, he talks about mountain goats and wild donkeys and oxes and star, uh, star constellations. He talks about um, talks about eagles and he talks about ostriches and he talks about um, uh, locusts. And I mean, he, he talks about hail and wind and rain. <coughs> Sorry, still uh, still dealing with uh, some bronchial issues. And and he he just keeps saying, God, where or Job, where were you? 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 And the answer, of course, is Job's going nowhere. I mean, I I wasn't doing much the day everything was created, right? <laughs> and and so in an honor shame uh, culture, God vindicates his honor by reminding Job of all that he doesn't know. So the assumption throughout the book is the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Assumption number two is bad things happen to bad people, good things happen to good people. Both of these, by the story itself, are shown to be not true, in my view. Other people will very much disagree with this conclusion. That is just fine. But God comes, and the first thing God does is he reminds uh, Job of how unfathomably complex creation is. And then what he does, and this is where it gets super interesting. Then in, uh, he does that for two chapters. And then jo- uh, God begins to uh, question Job about uh, Leviathan and behemoth. All right. Now, now a guy like Boyd, and he's got a couple of books, God at War and Satan at the Problem of Evil. Um, argues that, uh, and with many other scholars, that Behemoth and Leviathan aren't dinosaurs. Uh, they were um, ancient Near Eastern um, um, pictures of evil and chaos. Huh. And that what God is claiming in the last two chapters of Job is that, that God is at work battling the forces of evil and chaos. So he, he questions Job in two facets. One is just the created order. You don't understand how it works. But secondly, you don't understand, if, if Boyd's reading is right and others, you don't understand the spiritual war that's happening all around you. That seems to make sense to me because if Job is just looking at God to be responsible for good and bad happening, there seems like no acknowledgement of a spiritual evil or an adversary in the picture. It's just God is all responsible for what's taking place right. in the confusion right. of what God already knows. And I, I, I assume next is the presentation of, but because God just said, I am waging war against something that you do not understand, which is chaos right. and the existence of evil. Right. So, so, but, but God never mentions the deal with the Satan. Okay. Uh, God never gives Job a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, he never, def- God never defends God's self. 
Hmm. He just simply says, Job, you don't understand creation, nor do you understand the the battle against Hmm. the forces of chaos and evil that rages around you. Job, so here's what Job replies. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Um, I surely I have spoken of things I did not understand things too wonderful for me to know. Hmm. In other words, it's just not that clean. It's just not that clean. Um, he says, my eyes have heard of you, excuse me, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself. And John Mark, uh, makes this very good point that despise myself there, uh, doesn't mean I despise how I've been, but it means despise what I've been saying. Um, and I repent in dust and in ashes. And then there's one, there's one little tag on, uh, that, um, our, our reformed friends will point out that, um, right at the end of the book, God confronts Job's friends and says, uh, to Job's friends, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you've not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So you're confronted with the following uh, conundrum, quandary. On the one hand, if you read the book of Job, Job says many things that are not true about God. Many things that God that God uh, instituted the suffering, that God is, is like a lion waiting to devour. I mean, all of this stuff. Um, and yet, at the end of the book, God says, well, uh, at least Job spoke right about me when um, he was speaking, as opposed to you clowns who didn't say anything. Now, Boyd makes a big argument that the word right here uh, doesn't mean correctly, but it means to align with or to be straight. In other words, what Job is being commended for isn't his theology, which was uneven. He says some good things, he says some bad things. But rather, what he's commended for is he's speaking honestly towards God instead of like the friends speaking mm. towards Job. Towards Job, yeah. yeah. And, and now again, some people disagree with that, great. You have to ask, which view of God squares best with Jesus? Because Jesus is the definitive revelation of God. Which view of Job squares best with the internal narrative structure of Job? And which view of Job best takes uh, all of the data in the book and makes sense of it? And so instead of saying, um, instead of the book of Job being an argument that God is causing all suffering, it's actually the reverse. It's actually the, the dismantling of the simplicity behind the statement that says God causes suffering. Mm-hmm. That's the point. So you can't say God gave and God take away. God took away. You can't say you when you're singing that song, he gives and takes away. Uh, or when you're quoting that verse, it's not that simple. And so when our friends say, listen, God ordained suffering and that's good news. And, and if one of the arguments is, we'll look at the book of Job, I think the book of Job actually argues the exact opposite. And that God, God would look at those tweets and say, first of all, you don't know jack squat about how creation works, how it's interdependent, how cause and effect, how reaping and sowing. You have no idea how one little ripple of a decision over here is going to affect something massive over there, right? You have no, you have no idea. But secondly, you're blissfully unaware of the spiritual battle that's raging all around you. And in the audience, the audience turns out to be the only folks that know in the whole story that there was a Satan at work stirring this whole thing up and that Job needed a hedge of protection to be protected. And when that was removed, all manner of evil could be done. Well, how in the world is that God's will? How does this suggest then that suffering is God is of God and God's will on the earth when in fact you, you have many reasons not only to not make that statement, argue the opposite, but even if you're not willing to go that far, to simply say, we don't know. We don't know. Mm-hmm. And that is the sentence my Reformed friends need to learn, uh, at least in, that, in, in this sense. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Did God cause... Why does, um, why does someone who is a single mom, uh, poor... Um, on drugs, able to have zillions of children, but here's this good Christian couple who who is infertile, right? Why why was my little dude born with Down syndrome? Why why does Down syndrome exist? Why 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 are black men getting shot uh, at seemingly such an alarming rate? Um, why is there so much hatred? Why you know I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I I, I don't know. The Bible teaches that God is good. The Bible teaches that evil is evil. And the Bible teaches that God will bring good out of evil. 
Yes, but that God is not never, ever, ever the author of it. Mm. And that's where that's where we sit. That's where we sit. And and we can't sit with uh, pen answers. We can't sit with uh, simplistic formulas. Um, if you're not comfortable with the idea that other wills are being done on the earth, then the best answer is I don't know. For me, um, why why do bad things happen? Well, sometimes bad people do bad things, or there 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 is a real darkness in the world that is that is alive and real and opposed to the work of God in the world, and that that's real. Uh, that sometimes tectonic plates, that creation itself is attached to the fall of human beings, and so plates that were supposed to be stable shift and and um, uh, mountains that uh, were formed by, by volcanoes sometimes erupt and uh, you know earthquakes that cause tsunamis. I mean these aren't these aren't even though our insurance companies call them acts of God, these are just the results of living in a broken and fallen world. And I think all of the protest that even the non-religious, um, uh, in moments like these, all of the protests and appeals to justice, they're all proof of our image bearing. They're all proof of, of, of the fact that we know there should be justice and peace. We know there shouldn't be suffering. We know that a tsunami is tragic. We know that it shouldn't be this way. And so, uh, what you have in the book of Job is you have the faintest outlines, not of why particular instances of evil happen, but of why we shouldn't be so quick to say why they happen. Because mm-hmm. we just don't always know. Make mm-hmm. sense? I mean, <clears throat> yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I follow that. I, the things I wonder, so taking it from a poetic narrative standpoint, right? the existence of a hedge for Job was in place prior to this interesting uh, battle of a bet. Yes. I think... So in our in our modern day, so we can't, you know, we're not going to transport that as a moral code into our modern belief. We can't based on how we take the narrative. Right. You can't take, yeah. you can't make a whole bunch of doctrinal assertions out of Job unless they're reinforced somewhere else. Right. Right. Exactly. So it's like nowadays when right. we seek a quote unquote hedge of protection or we're looking for protection from God. Right. It's it's not that I I think the assumption I wouldn't make is that because I've become a believer in Jesus, well now I am permanently spiritually protected on this earth so bad things will no longer happen to me it's, right. I, it's impossible for me to make that assumption at this point correct when we look at jesus's introduction of the holy spirit as an active element of spiritual power of his outer working through us mm-hmm. it seems that in an idea of war you can't take offense unless you're working outside the defense it's not like you can be in the fortress fighting and being offensive okay so it sounds to me that it's necessary to be in an active battle of like mm-hmm. that spiritual power. You can't always be in a, a place of spiritual protection. Thus, like oh, the, see you saying. see, thus the flexibility of a quote unquote hedge. But I think it's in modern religion. We take the assumption. Well, if I make this decision, if I go this road, but then I'm and this is an issue of salvation. This is more of an issue of like my life here. Well, everything's going to be good. We can't right. expect that. Because in, in the narrative of Jesus, there's this other story where then we work out this offense towards evil in because the world. That's what, because that's what Jesus is doing. Right. So as his right. people, we're joining in that. Right. So it's just it's just fascinating to me because I think it feels like sometimes in certain circles I've been a part of or been around, we want to just kind of collect together and just hope and protect that nothing bad ever happens to us. But sure. it's like that mentality to me doesn't seem to fit in the Jesus narrative. Oh, not even remotely. And right. And... It's explicitly taught against. Yeah. I mean, why would yeah. you, why would Paul in the New Testament spend all this time warning Christians about the power of the Satan if the Satan couldn't do anything to us? Yeah. And uh, you have the testimony of, <laughs> you, you have the clear testimony of so much of the New Testament that suffering is part of the Christian life. Yeah. And sometimes it's suffering for persecution's sake. Um, which is the primary mode of suffering that was attached to the imitation of Christ. For us, uh, middle-class, comfortable Americans, we think suffering is a, um, you know, uh, I've lost my job. I have, um, I've got a questionable diagnosis that I don't know if healthcare can fix. And those are totally legitimate forms of suffering. I'm not denying that at all. Um, but but there's there's been a kind of redefinition that of anything that interrupts our middle class comfort and convenience qualifies as suffering for Jesus, 
Um, and I just go, ah, I, mm. I'm not so sure about that. Yeah. Um, because the suffering mentioned in the New Testament was very much attached to allegiance to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the suffering around the world in many in the church or claiming the name of Jesus is attached very much to loyalty to Jesus. Sure. A lot of our suffering isn't. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I just want to keep a distinction there that there's yeah. this, there's a difference in the New Testament between suffering, which is yes, brutal and suffering, uh, f- uh, for the sake of persecution. Sure. So in, in, there is, there is an absolute promise that we will suffer for our allegiance to Jesus, but there is an, uh, there is the, uh, the subtle and sometimes explicit teaching that bad things will happen because we live in a fallen world, right. because we have an enemy, because we have a dark, if kind of fallen nature. Like they're they're built in to the narrative of not only Jesus but the outworking of Jesus through His people is the idea that yes, it doesn't go well uh, for us. That the, that there is power, there is true resurrection, there is healing, there is hope, there are all of those things: forgiveness, restoration, renewal. But that God's kingdom hasn't invaded fully yet. It's come in mustard seed form, in tiny seed form, in the person of Jesus. Then Jesus' spirit poured out on His people. But that that's working its way slowly throughout human history, mm-hmm. and that while we're waiting for the fulfillment of that, uh, the fulfillment of the kingdom mm-hmm. uh, of God, as Jesus called it, um, Jesus very clearly says, "Wheat and weeds grow together mm-hmm. in this great world of our good sure. people and bad people live together. Yeah. Good works and bad works go together. Right. Blessing and suffering grow together, and so life turns out to be." Not I'm blessed and and then I'm cursed and then I'm blessed again and then I'm cursed, but it's more like parallel tracks where I'm blessed in so many ways, but there are always parts where there's hollowness, where there's disappointment, mm-hmm. where there's disenfranchisement, where there's marginalization, where there you know is worry, and so we kind of live we kind of live both rails simultaneously. Yeah. So you're speaking against. The, the modern expressions of Christianity that try to say, that to try to reinforce that formula that mm-hmm. says, listen, praises, you know, if, if, if um, we praise God, we bless God, we give money, God will never, um, ne- God will never let us go hungry. Right. If we, if we pray for our kids, they'll never do bad things. If we, you know, wait to have sex until we're married, it, marriage will just be the greatest thing in the history of the world sexually. I mean, whatever the formulas there are, um, it, you certainly see this in this prosperity p- bits of the yeah, evangelical sure. church where, man, if you just have enough faith, if you just send in your money, nothing bad will ever happen to you. So what, what you're identifying is the the fact that that Job sort of theology still exists today yes. in some forms of the church. Yes. And we're saying in two, and we're saying in two ways it's refuted. One, you will suffer um, for attaching allegiance to Jesus. Yeah. And two, you still live in a fallen world Absolutely. because the kingdom's not fully come. Right. Right. Would, because would we, what defines the adversary is the fact that he is against the will of God because the adversary wouldn't be against the will of man. Cause that seems like it would be against it. That, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be a true adversary yes. in my opinion. So it's the, when, when you say what you just said, it, it oh shoot, I kind of lost my track. I had something, mm, I had something there. Um, mm, this is why that's the Mike Geary podcast. That's right. <laughs> I, I guess it's, it's, you know, the way it's defined is that we are in the middle. It, it feels to me, it's like the reality of what's presented when God says to Job, you know, you are not aware of the spiritual battle that I am fighting. And then right. Job becomes illuminated to that idea, realizing, oh. But even then, it, he doesn't know it's it not applied a, to him. No, it's not. It's kind of, but it's, he doesn't, he doesn't, he, but he acknowledges his misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. You know, so he does acknowledge the confusion. So to me, there there seems to be like, you know, this is, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to interpret something here in the human narrative part of Job is that. For him to be able to make that acknowledgement, there must he he then was under some kind of like clarity, you know, to real to realize so much like because since yes. God said yes. I am at war with evil, in God saying that He is saying there is spiritual evil. Right. So in that alone, if Job trusts God, then he's like, I if didn't that's realize what, if that's what Leviathan and Behemoth mean. Yes, yes. if that's what that means, yes. correct. Yeah. Okay, so I, here's the argument that I see playing out. And I'm curious if this is part of the Reformed defense in this. When God gives the Hasetan the free will to go after Job, right? What's the difference between allowance and ordain there? Yes. All right, we're gonna have to go for another podcast on that one. Okay. Because that it's the language of permission, yes, versus the language of determination. 
Okay. So to what degree uh, did was God's lifting the hedge, does that get him off the hook or not? Mm-hmm. And that's a very fair question. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so like... Um, our reformed friends, that's, that's where they end up setting up shop in that okay. distinction. At least the ones I'm, I'm familiar with is, is that, listen, you can say God didn't cause the harm, but in, in a backwards way, he kind of did, mm-hmm. uh, because he lifted up that, that quote hedge of protection. Right. So that the enemy, um, that, so that the enemy could do harm. Mm-hmm. And um, so that their view is that Satan is on a leash in some way, shape, or form. So that Satan becomes, and they, I don't know how many would say it this way, Satan becomes almost an agent of God's will on the earth. Hmm. And um, I, I don't think that does justification to a bunch of, to, to the podcast we did two weeks ago, mm-hmm. when Satan is called the the prince of this world, yes, uh, and the god of this age, yes, and so I, I think I, I don't I don't quite think that does justice to mm-hmm. it, and it's pushing this poetic poem I think a little too far, yeah, um, but but because I think what the rest of the narrative does is dismantle the idea that God's responsible for it, um, so so. You know, there, there's a lot to say there. Mm-hmm. And uh, a good a good buddy of mine um, wrote a reformed response on Facebook uh, to, whether it was this or just in general conversations, uh, that, that goes a lot into this. And, um, and, and it's, it's a, it's a great philosophical response, but it just, it has to move so far away from the text to make some of the distinctions it makes. Mm. It's just interesting. Yeah. So, sure. so okay. it, you know, we can get there, but not today. Great. That's fine. That was when you first said that and we went forward, I'm like, well, now, now that's the question. That's the thing. Now I think to me, that feels like a very strong distinction and understanding yep. that. So, yep. Great. Yep. 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 Because on the, I mean, God could prevent, right. God could use brute force. Yes. But, but like we were talking about power and Eve, the evangelical yes. love affair of power and the different kinds of power. Mm-hmm. God has decided not to use brute force power on the earth. Right. He could. He could force every heart. He could force it, and he doesn't. Right. And that that creation of a universe like that then means that that God rarely uses brute force to accomplish his ends. Right. And so he uses other power. And, Wisdom, and, uh, agape love. Right. Example. Right. I mean, he's using other power. Sure. So there are times he brute forces. Of course, Jesus walks on water, brute force. Jesus calms a storm, brute force. Jesus casts out a demon, brute force. But but he very, to my knowledge, uh, hardly ever uses it with human persons. Mm. So different, uh, different conversation. All right. Great. Well, we're wading into thick, thick waters and uh, man, um, if you want more on this, read Boyd. Go to John Mark Comer's uh, series on Job. It's really, really good. Um, and uh, and uh, let us know um, what you're thinking. And, and uh, uh, like us on uh, Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. VoxOC.com is our uh, is our uh, website for our little uh, community. What were you going to say? Uh, I was going to say it's... You know, these this still while we're having a conversation in response to reform theology and some of the arguments there to me I, th- I still feel this is such a relevant conversation to to atheists and to folks that don't understand that because so often is that giant question it's like man if yep. if god is in control and god loves us then why do bad things happen to good people and it's it's yep. still stuck and framed in that theological thinking and this this starts to change and present the complexity of just thinking that way. That's right. And so I, I really, I'm enjoying that even being a believer as long as I have. And um, I, I'm just, I'll be curious. I, in a couple of weeks, I know we're, we're going to have Godless on the show and interview him. And Oh, yes. You know, so it's like there's, in, in, in other interviews I've listened to with him, he's he's prosed those very questions. And so it's, I'll, I'll just be curious to see if he gets a chance to listen and have, and we can kind of have more about that same conversation then. Yes. Yeah. Yes. God, so Godless... Uh, that will be very fun. That will be very fun to have him on. So we'll yeah. talk more about that. Is that, that'll be... When this comes out, it'll actually be, um, it'll come out two weeks from when this one comes out. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Sounds great. All right, Andy Bear. Why don't you do a blessing, dude? Carry your weight. Do something. <laughs> do, do something. <laughs> right. You got nothing. 
Yeah. Well, all right, I got one. I could just say something nice. No, I know. You don't, no, it's not going to happen. That's not blessing. No, one of the one of the interesting things. So, so we closed last time with this prayer too. Um, when Jesus gave us something called the Disciples' Prayer, the Lord's Prayer, mm-hmm. he he very he very much said, "And uh, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil mm-hmm. one." Yep. So why don't we uh, why don't we lead with that? So so um, if you're um, if you know this and you want to say it out loud, let's pray it together. Uh, if you're an atheist, turn it off now. Five, four, three, two, one. We're going. Uh, our Father in the heavens, may your name be kept holy and seen as holy. Uh, may your kingdom come and your will be done in our cars, in our workplaces, in Brea, in Minnesota, in Baton Rouge, as it is in heaven. Um, would you forgive us uh, all of the ways that we fall short and all the darkness in our hearts as we forgive others who do things to us uh, that need forgiveness? Uh, would you give us today what we need to get through today? Uh, physical bread, spiritual bread, uh, emotional bread. Would you, would you grant the grace to walk through today being fully present and aware that you are with us? Um, and, uh, and God, would you protect us from this adversary? Would you wage war? Um, and would you bring about the completion of your kingdom so that there will be justice on the earth? There will be peace on the earth and, uh, in all things, God, would you, um, would you reveal yourself, uh, to be beautiful and to be majestic and powerful and good? And would you wage war against the false ideas that are out there about what you're like? So we love you. And we, um, we do pray our, your blessing over all those who are listening. Amen. All right, until next time, folks, thanks. Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Erie podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Erie. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope at Mike Erie for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. Don't forget to visit subversivekingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike.